0: The following Women's Spaces show was recorded on Monday, September 6, 2021.
1: The woman in your life will do what she must do To comfort you and calm you down And let you rest now The woman in your life She can rest so easily She does everything you do Because
2: the woman in your life is you. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Women's Spaces. My name is Elaine B. Holt, and I'm your host. And with me at the board is my friend, my partner, my engineer, and co producer, Ken Norton. Good morning, Ken. Good morning. Wow, it's going to be a warm day here in Sonoma County. Well, I have a very exciting show today. Joining me on the phone this morning will be Dr. Harriet Fraud. Dr. Fraud is a mental health counselor and hypnotherapist in practice in New York. She's a well-published author and writes about the pressures on families and the economics of the U.S. She's actually a regular guest of Dr. Richard Wolf and his show Economic Update, which uh, airs on KBBF 89.1 FM every Tuesday. Day from 11 to 12 p.m. And, you know, today is a Labor Day, and we'll be talking about the evolution of unions and the uh, part that women played in forming the unions. And also we're going to do a little section on uh, Frances Perkins, who was the first woman uh, appointed by President Franklin Del Roosevelt to the uh, labor uh, group. And, you know, I, I want to read something very, very interesting uh, about Frances Perkins <laughs> In 1933, after the people had rejected Hoover's plan to let the Depression burn itself out, can you imagine that, let it burn itself out while people were starving in the country, Uh, President-elect Roosevelt asked Francis Perkins to serve as Secretary of Labor in his administration. Listen to this. This is woman power. She accepted only on the condition... That, the, that he backed her goals, and they were unemployment insurance, health insurance, old age insurance, a 40-hour work week, a minimum wage, and abolishment of child labor. She later recalled, I remember uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt looked so startled, and he said, well, do you think it can be done? And she answered him, I promise to find out. And guess what? She did it. We have Social Security today. We have Children's uh, Labor Plan, uh, Labor Rules, and all that other good stuff that Frances Perkins brought forward. And we are going to talk to her, to talk to Harriet Fraud about this really powerful woman. Well, today's a very exciting day. September 6th, three years ago, my great-great-daughter, Satori, Trinity Jensen can you believe that Satori Trinity Jensen and she was born at 303 on September 9th three years ago and I I can't believe it well today's her birthday and I have a special surprise for her so your great-grandparents Ken and Elaine want to play a special song for you so let's go ahead this is for Satori Trinity Jensen Happy birthday, Satori. My goodness. Welcome to the world. And, you know, we're going to be grand, great-grandparents for a second time, and it's just amazing. You know, our children are the future, and we must never lose sight of that. And today, we're going to be celebrating her birthday. And if she's listening, boy, Grandma and Grandpa got some real nice presents for you, and I can't wait to see your birthday cake. Wow. Like I said, today's Labor Day. Labor Day pays tribute to the contributions and achievements of American workers and is traditionally observed on the first Monday in September. It is created by the labor movement in the late 19th century and became a federal holiday in 1894. Amazing, amazing. You know, I want to do a a shout-out again to uh, Supervisor Linda Hopkins. Like I mentioned last week, the National Organization for Women, the Sonoma County Chapter, uh, was honored with a gold resolution because of their... um, their contribution via a calendar of the centennial for 2020. And I want to just remind folks that you can listen to that wonderful, wonderful Zoom on Now Sonoma on Facebook. And, I, 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 you know, it's really an amazing thing when you all these women gathering and talking about some of the things that they have done. You know, women are really a powerful force in our country, and we must never forget about that. And we have to stand up. We have to stand up for the future of our children. You know, I was listening to Amy Goodman before we come on and thinking about the war in Afghanistan and the, the, we're finally out and all the all the drama and trauma and people saying, oh, we got to get rid of Biden. He did a poor job. You know, I really want to recommend that people revisit uh, Michael Moore's uh, Fahrenheit 9-11. It gives you the true story of what happened. It gives you the true story of what led up to the Afghan war, what led up to the Iraq war. And we need to be versed on our history. Now why do I say that over and over again? Our history is our strength. Why is that? Because when you look at things historically, you see what went right and you say, hey, we'll do more of that, and then what went wrong? How can it be corrected? History is like a, is our lessons. You know, it, it teaches us how we can move forward and what has prevented us from moving forward. And it's very, very important. And another thing that's happening, I can't believe what's happening with these uh, anti-abortion laws in Texas. You know, women have to stand up. It's not about abortion. You know, I'm not for abortion. I'm not against abortion. I'm for a woman's right to choose. You know, I'm watching my great-granddaughter grow up and I, I it, it's amazing how much work it takes to raise a child. And if a woman's not ready for it or something happens a rape or some accident happens i mean you have to have the option to have choice over your own body and i don't know why that is such a problem not only is it a problem to me personally i don't understand why people are fighting so hard about this abortion uh, idea not looking at it as choice rather than saying hey wait a minute we got to look at other things but i got to look at the education of our children are we feeding them we have no health care for them you know, look what's happening with that pandemic. All of a sudden, insurance companies are saying, "If you don't, if you know, if you have covered, you may not be covered." I mean, this is crazy. You know, and our children are the future, and it's very, very important to think in that terms. Well, another historical. Uh, lesson for the day <laughs> I'm, I am so bound on history I am I am amazed you know I remember when I first found you know Frances Perkins alone I was just so enamored that there were women that were that powerful and that strong and made such a big difference well I want to do a shout out uh, a happy birthday and also these people already made their transition and the first one who was born on September 1st 1933 and she made her transition in 2006 was Ann Richards, the second woman elected governor of Texas in 1990. What a woman she was. And I do not think if Ann Richards were still at the helm that we would be having some of the issues that we're having in Texas right now. She's another one of my heroes. So happy birthday, Ann, wherever you are. You made a great impact in our world and for women. You actually were a pioneer, led the way. Another birthday is on September 6, 1860, this woman was born. She made her transition in 1935. Wow, five years before I was born. Jane Addams, founder of Hull House in Chicago, the first major settlement house, the first American woman to receive the Nobel Peace Prize in 1931. She was a suffrage. She helped establish the American Civil Liberties Union in 1920. Jane Addams. What a woman. I mean, just start reading on Jane Addams. If all of a sudden you want to do something, you want to maybe stand up and you say, oh, I can't do it. You know, I'm nervous. You know, read some of these histories of some of these women, what they went through to get us where we are today. And if we're not careful, ladies, we're going to lose ground. You know, it's really sad when I hear, you know, that they're calling the United States, they're like the Taliban to women in Texas. I don't like that. I don't want to insult our state. Any state would be doing that to a woman. So let's rethink some of the things that we're doing. And for a message to the Supreme Court, wake up. They're violating the Constitution of the United States. A woman has the right to choose over her own body. And we need to make sure that happens. Anyway, that's enough of a of a little rant for this for this morning. Well, we're going to have a real full pack show, you know, talking with Harry, Doctor Harriet Fraud. I'm really looking forward to looking at women in labor, looking at Frances Perkins. But before we begin, I want to take a musical break, and the song I'm going to be playing is called "Bread and Roses," and it's sung by uh, Bobby McGee. It's a perfect song for our. For our topic, and like I mentioned every year, my father Solomon Holtz, was a union man mailers' union number nine in Los Angeles. I remember when I asked my dad why he joined the union and why he continued, even when he had other jobs at, at certain times in his life, he would still pay his union dues. My mother used to say, "Oh my goodness why are you why are you sending money every month in when you're not you're not working at the paper anymore he says, "Well, you never know what's going to happen." And he was right. When he decided to go back to the paper, there he was. He was a union man. He paid his dues. He maintained his seniority. But back to the question I asked him, I says, why did you join the union? And why are you so dedicated to the union? And he gave me a very, very simple answer. Elaine, I never met a boss who would give a raise without a struggle. I never met a boss that would give you a raise without a struggle. You ask any laborer that. I mean, I was thinking the other day, I was thinking of the farm workers when they first unionized with Cesar Chavez and Gloria, uh, Dolores Huerta, they, the bosses weren't even giving them decent housing, water breaks. If it wasn't for the union, it, these people would continue to go on and work under these awful conditions. The union is very important for all of us. And if it wasn't important... The powers that be would not be so busy trying to bust them all over the place. Anyway, we're going to take a musical break. We'll be playing Bread and Roses, sung by uh, Bobby McGee. And when we return, I will be talking with Dr. Harriet Fraud, who is a mental health counselor and hypnotherapist in practice in New York City. Dr. Fraud is also a regular guest on Richard Wolf's Economic Update. And we will be talking about Labor Day and the women's role in unions and organizations and Frances Perkins, a woman who changed the life for many. So let's go ahead, Ken. Bread and Roses, sung by Bobby McGee. As
0: we go marching, marching In the beauty of the day A million darkened kitchens A thousand mill grey, Are touched with all the radiance That a sudden sun discloses For the people here are singing Bread and Roses, Bread and Roses As we go marching, marching We battle too for men For they are women's children And we mother them again Our lives shall not be sweated From birth until life closes, hearts starve as well as bodies. Give us bread, but give us roses. As we go marching, marching, and none but women dead go crying through our singing, their ancient call for bread. their drudging spirits new yes it is bread we fight for but we fight for roses too as we go marching marching we bring the greater days the rising of the women means the rising of the race Drudge and idler tend the toil where one reposes, but sharing of life's glories, bread and roses, bread and roses.
2: Wow, bread and roses
0: shall not be sweated from birth until life closes. Hearts starve as well as bodies. And rose is bread and
2: I like that, bread and roses. In other words, feed us and make us feel good by bringing us flowers. I love, I love that. You know, today is Labor Day, and I want to shout, do a shout-out. The uh, labor organization here in Sonoma County is having their breakfast this morning. Uh, it's the first year they haven't had it here at the at the studio, in the studio parking lot, and I kind of miss them. But I want to do a shout-out to Marty Bennett, who's done so much for the labor movement and for the workers here in the Sonoma County, and also Jack Buckhorn, who leads one one of the major unions right here in Sonoma County, and also to Maddie Hirschfield for all her work that she's done for the workers. Thank you so much. My father would be proud of all of you. Well, for you just joining in, I want to remind my listeners the opinions expressed here are not necessarily the opinions of the station, its board of directors, its members, and women's spaces. Welcome back. You're listening to Women's Spaces, and I'm your host, Elaine B. Holtz. Without further ado, I want to introduce my guest, joining me on the phone, and it is an honor to introduce her. I like to think of her as one of my regulars here on Women's Spaces, Dr. Harriet Fraud. Welcome, Dr. Fraud. Welcome to Women's Spaces once again.
3: I'm so glad to be here, and particularly on this auspicious day, to talk about labor, which is you know, all labor is essential. We don't, we're never born unless somebody was in labor and then labor's <laughs> to help us be people. But, um, so all labor is, or almost all labor is essential. And I'm so glad to be able to celebrate that and particularly women's labor with you, Elaine.
2: Well, thank you so much for being on. It's always such a delight. And, you know, people need to realize that our history is our strength, and we're standing on the shoulders of many powerful women, particularly uh, Frances Perkins. So let me, tell, uh, let me tell my folks a little bit about you, Harriet, if that's okay. Sure. Dr. Fraud writes and speaks on the intersection of politics, economics, and personal life in the United States. Her work can be found on her website, HarrietFraud.com. That's H-A-R-R-I-E-T-F-R-A-A-D.com. Her podcast, Capitalism Hits Home, now with Juliana Ferrano can be found in her website again, HarrietFraud.com, and at Democracy Work Info, as well as on YouTube. Her newest podcast with Max Golding is directed to the psychotherapy community. It is called It's Not Just in Your Head. How did you come up with that title? It's not just in your head. uh, Well,
3: we're we're talking to everyone interested in psychotherapy, whether they're therapists or not. And it's because a lot of our community in mental health tries to let people think that their problems are all internal. Of course, if you're getting evicted, it's not all in your head. It's hard to do that with a happy song. And I think it's important for us to understand that an individual stands, let's say, in a triangle, and one long line of the triangle is the society they live in. Another is the culture that they're part of, the gender, the race, and so on. And another is their personal life, and they're all relevant, and you can't really take away the circumstances around your life and understand yourself. And a lot of psychology tries to deal only with the personal as if we don't live in a society, as if we aren't a race or a gender
2: well, you or know, it's,
3: it's, it's aren't it, rich
2: or poor. It's interesting that you say that. I remember when I when I applied for Sonoma State, they to, I was going to apply as a psychology major, and they told me, "No, too many people are applying for uh, psychology majors. You should apply for a, a sociology uh, degree." And so I did. And thank goodness, I studied under a man by the name of Carl Jensen, who actually was uh, responsible for doing Project Censored. And I am so grateful for that experience because that's exactly what I learned. It's not just in your head it's it, there's so many factors coming at you all the time the media your friends your family your culture your neighborhood you name it it's all influencing you so it's 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 an amazing amazing uh, topic uh, when you come down to it let me just finish this really quickly and if there's anything you'd like to add please please do so uh, dr sure fraud was a founding mother of the women's liberation movement in new haven connecticut and has been an activist an activist for her entire life so welcome again welcome harry and, and we are going to talk about labor so is there anything you'd like to add to your bio any other announcements anything new happening well
3: just that um My podcast I now do alone, and it's called Capitalism Hits Home at Democracy at Work, or you can just look me up on, or look it up on YouTube or somewhere else. Google, you'll find it, because I like to deal with how personal life interacts with economic and social life. But anyway, I'd love to get started because this is such an exciting
2: topic. Well, let's begin by talking about how you got interested in the labor movement and why do you believe it is so important. I know I know, in my family, I mean, my father was a diehard union man and it was really, really important to him. And my brother, too. He made sure my brother joined the union also. So yeah. what got you interested in it and why do you think it's an important topic? Well, what got
3: me interested in it, was that when I was a little girl, really little, the McCarthy era was happening in the United States where they got scared that our best friend during World War II and our major ally was the Soviet Union and Joe Stalin was referred to as Uncle Joe. And the Communist Party and the Socialist Party were huge. One of out of every four families had an active communist or socialist. And so they decided to... De- declare that to be a communist or a fellow traveler socialist or a fellow traveler unionist was treasonous, because the big allies in creating the New Deal, the best big government we've ever had, were the Communist Party, the Socialist Party, and the huge labor movement, the CIO, with millions of workers, not organized around any one particular little trade, but masses of workers, and then people got blacklisted because they were suspected of being communists or socialists. And if you were an active labor leader, you were a suspect. And the unions threw out the communists and socialists, who were the spark of the union, and now they're in terrible shape. But as a kid, blacklisted artists used to perform at something called Hootenannies. And my father, like yours was really sympathetic to labor. He was the free doctor for the transport workers on the subways who were organizing, and he believed in labor. And so I learned early on that it's work that makes the world you see, and you have to appreciate the people who do the work, even though that's not what I learned at public school 81 or public school 9 or any of the other schools I went to. But I learned that from him. To appreciate the work that goes into everything. The lawn you work on, you walk on, was planted. The building you live on, someone created that. And that people's work isn't honored, but it's everywhere and it's all essential for
2: us. Well, you know, there's another component that I like to mention is that most things come from the earth and we're all children of the earth. So we should be sharing all the resources. There shouldn't be one guy makes a a million and another guy is starving. Well, Harry, you you know, our country is known for its diversity. You know, give us a little background uh, on how the first people came over. You know, we had this very interesting conversation that really stuck with me. And what indentured service were in relation, say, to being a slave and what role did women play it? that time and did they have a voice
3: well it's very important to understand it certainly was enlightening to me who learned about these same boring pilgrims every year (laughs) that between a half and two-thirds of the America of people who came to the United States from England were um, and also from Spain were indentured servants that means they in order to pay for their passage they had to work anywhere from one to seven years for a master who had complete control over them. At the end of their indenture, seven years or one year or whatever, um, they were to be given for freedom to go out, and sometimes they got a barrel of corn or an outfit or something like that. And before that, they were chained to the master and if they tried to run away their sentence was amplified and they also got beaten so and women were brought over often because they were given the alternative of prison or indenture in the united states and they were arrested for things like lewd carriage i.e looking too sexy or being out after 10 at night for stealing thread from the needle shop where they worked, and not huge um, spools of thread, but a line of thread, because they wanted to get women over there so they could reproduce the settlers. And women were also indentured as wives. There's a famous story by Howard Fast called Rachel about an indentured wife. For seven years, she had to be somebody's wife, have sex with him, do all the housework, bear children with him, and then at the end, he could say, okay, now get lost, or she could leave. But um, the women had a particular role, and that is something I never read about in history. There isn't much out there, well, and yet that's how most of us got
2: here. Well, the interesting part, you know, especially, you know, when you look at the slavery in the united states i mean once england decided that they were no longer going to have slavery and there was a little bit of a glitch trying to get people over to this country all of a sudden there was breeding that was set up it sounds like the women that came over the indentured servants they were just breeders to have children to to enhance the population so the colonies would survive that's absolutely
3: right and once Um, Slavery started, a lot of the the labor that they had indentured people do was done by purchased slaves over whom they had control for life. And so that then they did the same thing in Australia, the British, arresting women for almost nothing and sending them over there to reproduce and and, uh, colonize. So that women were used as
2: breeders. It never, it never stops. I mean, that's. What, I almost feel that's what this whole anti-abortion thing is, is that, you know, women aren't have a choice and they don't, they, the powers that be don't want us to have a choice. We just got to keep having children as if there's not enough in the world.
3: Or as if they would ever take care of the children. <laughs>
2: right, exactly. But you know, I also
3: think it's important for us to note that the same people who want to abolish abortion rights for women are the people who, who stopped immigration. There used to be a whole set of immigrants who would do the least desirable, dirtiest, most poorly compensated work and not rebel. Well, they don't allow immigrants in. Now they want poor whites who are desperate, whose evictions have uh, been allowed and not stopped, and whose unemployment insurance is cut off. They don't want people who are brown. They want white people to do the worst Most poorly paid people out of desperation. So, and stopping and making women breeders is a way to do it. Also, we should note, I think, now that they've um, abolished abortion in Texas, basically, is that 20 years after 1973, when Roe versus Wade and abortion rights were passed, there was a precipitous decline in crime all over the United States. And the only conclusion that people could really make, it's either in the book Freakonomics or it's all sorts of articles, is that, yeah, there were fewer hated, unwanted children who grew up to be criminals. So it's a terrible
2: thing for children, too. And, and another thing that was happening also, you had President Johnson with his war on poverty giving people an opportunity to go back to school. And at that time, you know, I remember when I went back to school, there was a big flood of women coming back. And what we talked about is we don't want to have any more children. We right. want to get our education. It was really interesting. Well, you know, Harriet, you know, women in history really have a, a strong, a strong position. You know, I read there when I did my research for this show, I came across two very interesting uh uh uh, events that happened, and I, I'd like you to talk a little bit about it. The first event was in 1871, after her dress shop is destroyed in the Great Chicago Fire, Mary Harris, who was known as Mother Jones, begins working as a labor organizer. So Mother Jones had a big impact. And then we had the triangle wor- uh, shirt uh, waste factory that caught on fire in New York that killed nearly 150 uh, uh, women. Also, because they couldn't get out, they had to jump out out windows. And in fact, Frances Perkins at that time was a young woman, a uh, young social worker working in that area, and she just happened to be walking by and saw the fire and, and made a, a vow that she was going to be able to do something uh, if she ever had an opportunity. So, can you talk about those those two yeah. uh, those two incidents and what impact they had? as far as labor and women go?
3: Well, after the huge strike in um, 1909 of women, who were mainly immigrant women, immigrant women who came here and worked in the needle factories, you know, the, making shirtwaists, which are elegant blouses, or making dress, uh, skirts or whatever, and they worked 10 hours a day, Six hours, I mean six days a week, and they got maybe $10 a week for their work. And if they came late, they were docked pay for a whole day. And these were people that were tightly controlled. The Triangle Shirtwaist fire was devastating because only one out of four elevators worked because the fire escapes escapes weren't maintained, so they weren't strong enough to hold anybody, because the doors were locked in case people wanted to go out and get fresh air or escape from the factory, and the air was thick with dust from the fabric, and so it ignited quickly, and so 147 women leapt to their death to escape the fire, because they had no other way out, and Frances Perkins saw this and became an impassioned champion of women's rights. In fact, she became a socialist, and FDR had a lot of socialists, because his program, the New Deal, has a lot to do with socialism. And a champion of worker rights, she also saw children jumping to their desks, because children were in the uh, factories at that time, either doing work, or drugged, babies were drugged, so that they could stay at their mother's side during the workday. It was a terrible thing, and the people who owned that triangle shirt-waist factory never went to jail for it either. They got away with it because they had the, the money for good lawyers. And this was a huge problem. Now, Mother Jones went to the mining area and organized miners. These were women who were enormously determined and courageous and celebrated because they saw the grotesque injuries to labor that were fattening people like Rockefeller, who owned 90% of the oil production, or Andrew Andrew Carnegie, who made his steel fortune, or Mellon, who made his financial fortune, they were fattened because they gave people crap salaries and made more money than these people actually, you know, ever got. They gave them a a poor wage. And
2: took all the profit themselves. Well, you know, I, I want to inject something here that I thought was really interesting. You know, p- particularly around Francis Perkins, and, and I read—I'm going to read this line—and if you can just give a little explanation on it, because mm-hmm. I was really shocked when I when I when I read it. And it's in 1933, after the people had rejected Hoover's plan to let the depression burn itself out. So Hoover just thought the depression was just going to go away. And then yeah, well, when, there
3: are people who think that now. I mean that's also herd immunity. Let the people who are weak die. Let them die off and then it'll it'll resolve itself. Meanwhile, millions may die. Well, so what? I mean it's a level of callousness which Trump had towards the pandemic and which other people have towards unemployment right now as of In the next few days, 1.6 million people in New York City, where I live, will get no money, even if they're unemployed, and they can't get jobs. And this is to immiserate people so they'll take any job, even a job with terrible wages and no future.
2: Well, well, it's interesting, too, when you look at f- when President uh, Roosevelt got elected, he asked Perkins to serve as Secretary of Labor in his, in, in his administration. She accepted only on the condition that he back her goals, unemployment insurance, health insurance, old age insurance, oh, my goodness, a 40-hour week, a minimum right. wage, and abolished child uh, child labor. And she later recalled, I remember he looked so startled, and he said, well, do you think it can be done? And she said, I promised to find out. And guess what? She did it. So, she I mean, sure it, did. She so did. it's so
3: she didn't do it alone, Elaine. It's important for our listeners to understand there were Demonstrations organized by the two socialist parties, the labor unions, and the communist party, of hundreds of thousands of people in the cities demanding jobs. And they were organized. They weren't just sitting there depressed by, you know, listening to the radio. They were in the street protesting. And in the countryside, the Iowa farmers, the Iowa militias, had to fight family farmers who were hanging judges that condemned family farms. The country was mobilized, and the people who do the work, who were really getting shafted, got together, which made a huge difference. And so he felt like, okay, it might be possible. You know, it's not just the capitalists, and he could go to the people who were making huge money, the big capitalists at the time. It was a depression and say, I'm going to tax you 96.8% of your income. Because if I don't, and I don't use that to ameliorate and better people's lives, they're going to take it all, and they'll own it instead of you. So he got enough cooperation from the very wealthy um, industrial magnates that he could... let themselves be taxed. Well, you know, now they put their money overseas and they're not taxed at all. But, you know, they gave him permission because they were scared because working people who do the work of the society were organized into very angry groups demanding things.
2: Well, it's really interesting because one of the things that that I feel that happened was that the great depression, you know and and also one of the things that comes up a lot, even in our conversation, the idea that it was the socialists, it was the communists, and it was the basic labor movement, everybody getting together, protesting, doing mass marches what what was what was the what was the selling point with uh, socialism and communism at that time?
3: What it was is why should you do the work, and someone else gets the extra? so it's real simple it's it's it's, it's simple. Nobody hires you unless they pay you less than they're making off of you. And so why? Why let them do that? We could take over. We could do it. And that was pretty compelling, especially when people were being horribly mistreated.
2: Well, you know, it's, it's really interesting how we get so jaded with our definitions of things. You know, they're, they're these trigger words. Like, mm-hmm. like, you know, like all of a sudden, like somehow everything's being taken away from us. And when you look at it, everything is being taken away from us now. It's starting, I mean, yes. everything is just depreciating. And at the same time, prices are going up. People are frustrated. I mean, it, it's really, it's, it's really a sad situation. Well, listen, we're, we're coming to the end of this segment, and I hope you can stay on the phone for the second segment. To talk a little bit about about Francis Perkins, but also you know uh, you know it seems to me that the crash of nineteen twenty nine was really it almost feels like the same things are going on today that were going yes. on then with the stock market going. I mean, why why do we think the stock market determines our lives? I mean, it's it's very interesting.
3: You bet. We don't, Well, it doesn't determine our lives. 80% of the stocks are owned by the, the top 10% of people. Most people never buy any stocks. They can't afford it. It's just the top that's making money. And right now, the stock market is booming while people are desperate. And it's booming because people with a lot of money don't really trust the American economy that much. They want to invest, they don't want to start a, a business. It's too risky. So they put it in the stock market, which swells while misery swells at the same time.
2: That is so stunning to me when you start thinking about it. You know, so then we're going to take a little musical break and I'm going to play a song by Bev Grant called Whose Side Are You On. And, and and the reason the reason I think this this uh this song is so important and ask that question, "Whose side is you on?" You know, you have to be on the side of your own life to really, mm-hmm. you have to you know, you have to think of your children, you have to think of your family, and it looks like the the best way to, uh, for workers to assure that they're going to be treated equally and fairly is through unions. And so I think it's I think it's a very interesting topic to start thinking. Like, whose side are you on? I know they've done everything they possibly can to break unions. One of the things they do, you can work in a union shop, but they're saying the, the law says you don't have to pay your union. You don't even have to belong to the union, but you can still benefit from all the programs that are happening. So it's, it's, it's very interesting the way that they, they weave things for and against us. So let's go ahead, uh, folks, we're going to listen to, we're going to take a musical. Break And we're going to listen to Which Side Is You On, sung by uh, uh, Bev uh, Grant. This song is so timely. For some reason, when I listen to it, I see all those women whose shoulders we are standing on saying yes. yes. Which side are you on? Are you on the side of all of us who fought so hard so you could have rights? I mean, let's face it, ladies. If it wasn't for the women's movement, if it wasn't for organization, you wouldn't see half the women on television you see today, half the beautiful women. I mean, even they've, right. even they've done that and they distorted for us. So let's go ahead, Ken. Let's play that. And when we come back, I will send you my conversation with uh, Dr. Harriet Fraud. We're talking about the labor movement and also women in the labor movement. And we're going to talk about one of my heroes when we come back back Francis Perkins so let's go ahead Ken Which
4: side are you on Which side are you on Which side are you on Which side are you on Come on you all workers good night.
2: What a big question that is. My goodness. Well, welcome back. You're listening to Women's Spaces. I'm your host, Elaine B. Holtz, and I'm in conversation with Dr. Harriet Fraud, who's speaking to us from New York. And we're talking about women in the labor movement. <coughs> Excuse me. And now we're going to talk a little bit about Frances Perkins, one of my heroes. So, welcome back, Harriet.
3: Thank you. And I must say, Frances Perkins is one of my heroes, too. First woman in a a United States cabinet minister as a cabinet minister and so determined. She was feminine in that she wasn't boisterous or booming, but she was determined and quiet, and she's the one who ended child labor in the United States as well as gave us FDR with Social Security and unemployment insurance and all the things they're trying to take away, minimum wages, which have already been taken away now that they have people um, on the, on their phones and on their computers until late. France actually passed a law because they have very strong socialist parties and green parties. That you cannot call a worker after seven p.m. No matter what question you have as your their employer, because labor really took a hit when they kicked the leftists out of the labor movement, because they were kind of the spark who could see a worker state and who were the most enthusiastic people. And Frances Perkins really encouraged unions. She was an amazing presence.
2: I mean, can you very just
3: very quiet? And very determined
2: way. Can you imagine her? You know, sitting in a meeting with people like John Lewis. You know, the, the, from the right. labor. Oh my goodness! I mean, I just, I just visualize her with that. And you know, when I did some history on her, I found out that her mother told her that she because her face was a certain shape, she needed to wear a hat all the time to give her to make <laughs> to make her look beautiful. Well, you know, she was she was amazing. You know, and she helped she helped do the the you know the New Deal, which was you know which was a really the highlight of Roosevelt's term you know that he was able to pull people pull us out of the depression by some of the things that were passed at that time but you know it's, it's really interesting because today today what's happening is we have the new green deal so if yeah. France, if Perkins were alive today how, what would her thoughts be about the, green, the the green new deal and how is that similar on some levels to the new deal that Roosevelt put in
3: it is similar. It's wanting to redo things with an eye towards ecology. And I think the only thing that she would do differently is that she wouldn't hire corporations to do it. She would hire the workers directly, like FDR did. Under her direction, they hired 11 million people with our population. It would be as if the government hired 22 million About 22 million Americans were double that population they had. To do things like build roads, build schools, go into communities and do tutoring, make parks, recreate the kind of facilities that are incinerators that give poor people who live near them asthma and cancer. She would do all of those things because our planet and our country has gotten so much more polluted that she would make it green, do the same kinds of things, but to create a greener set of benefits all across America.
2: Well, you know, when you talk about jobs, I was thinking about, you know, all the different, we've had tornadoes, we've had floods. I mean, look what's happened in New York, in upstate yes. New York. I'm, I'm like, I'm shocked. I mean, that, I remember when I was in New York, visiting the upstate, how beautiful it is up there. And all of a sudden to think that they're going through all this trauma and this, this horrific things from the, from the, uh, the rains. So I could see a lot of the workforce. I mean, I can see the jobs just being created and just rebuilding again. I mean, do of do, course, and stopping building on floods plane, stopping people want a nice view like
3: at the Surfside condo in Florida don't build on the coral reefs replant the grasses that grew there that prevent floods you know don't allow so much of a carbon footprint create alternative energies use the Sun use the wind there's so many possibilities that to be rebuilt and also rebuilt with an eye towards hiring everyone a drawback of the New Deal is that they exempted, in order to get the South to support it, domestic laborers, people who cleaned and, you know, cooked in people's homes, and also field labor, agricultural workers. And those, of course, everyone needs to be included. That was a way of keeping black people down. And we would do it differently now in the Green New Deal.
2: We well, you know, it were really-
3: dealing with the South when it was even worse than it is today.
2: Well, you know, it's really interesting, too, about the era around Frances Perkins. One of the things she wanted desperately was universal health care. Yes. And they actually threatened to just knock out the whole New Deal if they, if they didn't just get rid of that clause. So this is not something, this whole fight for universal health care is not a new matter. It's been going on forever and ever and ever. Well, you know, we're coming. The the segment is going to be ending really quickly, and I'm wondering if you could just talk a little bit about what do you believe people need to do now with the with the around unions and with how how can people stand up for themselves and why do you think that's important?
3: Well, they need to join labor organizations. Now, um, the two biggest employers in the United States are not unionized, and that's Walmart. And Amazon there's a new group called the Amazonians who are not a formal union but go around pressing grievances and getting workers together so before they even go for a union they get worker consciousness we have to celebrate work we have to not just think because somebody's rich he should get away with things or he's he's uh, qualified to be an ambassador or a president we have to understand that just because you're rich doesn't mean that you are worthy at all, and you might not deserve respect. And that we have to say, wait a minute, we can't question why a worker would work, earn $100,000 a year and not blink an eye when people like Jeff Bezos are earning billions. We have to say, no, the people who do the work should get the rewards. Well, you
2: know, it's, re- it's really.
3: Active in- on that.
2: You know, it's real interesting that you say that. Here in California. Right now, we're having, uh, two that I know of. I know there's several around the nation, but we're having two specific recalls. One is mm-hmm. for our governor, Governor Gavin Newsom, and one is for our district attorney, Jill Ravage, here in Sonoma County. And what's so interesting, uh, the, the one, I'm not really clear on the, uh, Newsom thing. I mean, I realize that there, it's kind of a vendetta kind of thing, but I am mm-hmm. definitely clear on the Ravage thing that it's a, a, a man who happens to have a lot of money, and he had a, a a, a facility for the elder and when the fires happened there was he was ne- negligent and they called him on it i think believe people a few people died and he was called on it and he was fined by the district attorney and boom he went and invested his money i mean uh, god it's over almost a million dollars already uh, to get this woman recalled and it's 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 really interesting and i keep asking myself you know now you know and anybody there's always a fight you know always something about the district attorney that You know, law enforcement is under the under the heat right now for sure. But the idea of having someone with money that can go and and do a recall, you know, because they're doing a vendetta, and then all of a sudden everybody gets all excited about it—they're really disrupting our democracy. I mean, they They really
3: are. Really, we cannot allow private money in elections. They don't allow that in Germany. You're arrested if you do it also in France. You're disqualified. We can't allow people, or we'll only have the best democracy money can buy, which isn't a good one.
2: Isn't there a book by that name?
3: Not
2: that I know of, but there might no, be. I think that, I mean, I think it's it's true, you know, and people need to be aware of that. And oftentimes I think because we identify with movie stars, we identify, you know, everybody wants to be, you know, I remember with my, my my first husband was an actor and I used to think to myself, well, he's going to win an Academy Award and one day he's going to be up there and say, oh, I owe it all to my wife, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. You know, we all, we're all get caught up in that kind of vision of, you know, that's why self-esteem, it really like what we talked about at the beginning like what you talked about it's all in your head you know all these things from the outside are pushing us and identifying us so it's really it's really a struggle. Well you they know what? are the
3: rich and famous are celebrated but the people who do the average work are not and that's crazy. Well that's may- going to be a maximum wage as well as a minimum wage.
2: To me, the most important person in our culture, believe it or not, this is what I think, is the man who and the people who pick up our trash every day. Just look at some of the countries where the trash is not picked up. And it's the same thing. And the most important person, one of the most important person, is our teachers because they teach yeah. our children. They do, the, they do the future. Well, we're coming to the end of our segment, Her- uh, Harriet. Are there any last words, any websites you'd like to give? Talk about anything that you're doing, anything special, anything you'd like to say more about the unions? It's your, it's well, what your call. What I'd like
3: to say is that we have to stop this idea that because you're paid a lot, you're worthy. If the janitor doesn't clean up the hospital, people get infected and die. And he shouldn't get uh, just a tiny portion of what the hospital administrator gets. And we can't have... You know, we have to have a maximum wage. We have to tax billionaires and be able to have free health care and child care and after-school care and start respecting the people who do the work.
2: Well you know it's interesting what as you were talking I was thinking why is it so hard and I was thinking about the idea when the medical association someone stood up and said we have to wash our hands that'll prevent uh prevent infections childbirth. they called him they called him a uh, you know he was some sort of alchemist or something like he was uh, this horrible thing what do you mean wash our hands we don't have to wash our hands i mean people are so resistant to change it is just amazing and so that's okay. why so
3: many women died in childbirth because they didn't And they didn't die if midwives gave birth to them, you know, help them give birth because they washed their hands.
2: (laughs) And the reason, if you, if folks just read the history of washing your hands, it will blow you away. That it was such a struggle. Well let's give our website, Harriet. We're just at the end of our segment and, and I have a few words to say. Give us your website and thank you so much for such a wonderful interview and I look forward to having you on again and looking forward to coming up with our next topic. Me too.
3: And my website is H A R R I E one t f r a a d Harriet dot
2: Well, Harriet Fraud, it's been wonderful speaking to you. And thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and your ideas. And my goodness, Francis Perkins, I mean, happy birthday whenever your birthday is. And thank you for all that you did. Well, folks, that's it for our show. A special thank you to Dr. Harriet Fraud. She's a psychotherapist and hypnotherapist in private practice in New York City. She is also a founding member of the feminist movement. For over 40 years, she's been radically committed to transforming U.S. personal and political life. And I'm just very happy to call her friend. Hey, a reminder. A reminder, tell your friends, Women's Spaces will be aired again uh, this evening at 11 p.m. I am so excited I get to listen to my program. Remember, our children are the future. We must never lose sight of that. And once again, happy birthday to my great-great-daughter, granddaughter, uh, Satori uh, Trinity Jensen. I mean, goodness, three years old. It's amazing. Time goes by so quickly. Well, this is Elaine B. Holtz. You've been listening to Women's Spaces. Thank you so much for listening, and I look forward to being with you once again. And remember, today is Labor Day. When you go into any place that's working today, thank them for being there. Remind them that they are important. They're serving us and doing the very best they can. Labor Day is a very important holiday, a very important day. It's more than just shopping. It's celebrating our workforce. This is Elaine Behold saying goodbye until next time.
1: Oh, life, she can wait so easily, she knows everything you do because of-
0: Previous Women's Spaces show was recorded on Monday, September 6, 2021.